1987, the cinematic drama Wall Street was released. Directed and co-written by Oliver Stone, the movie was chock full of Hollywood stars, Michael Douglas, Daryl Hannah, and Charlie and Martin Sheen. The movie was nominated for several awards and Michael Douglas, who played the wealthy and unscrupulous Gordon Gecko, went on to win the Academy Award for Best Actor. The film iconized individual excess and extolled the virtue of greed. In the words of Gecko, greed for lack of a better word is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge has marked the upward surge in mankind and greed. But even Gecko realized that greed goes beyond rational self-interest. Greed a la Gordon Gecko means that in order to succeed, others must fail. As he notes, it's not a question of enough, pal. It's a zero sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. While Gecko is a fictional character, this sort of zero sum thinking is very real, especially in moments of crisis. This is often referred to as crab mentality, where a mutually beneficial exchange is a pipe dream. And then in order to win, someone has to lose. On today's episode of Think Significantly, we will explore this concept. Why does it exist? Where does it exist? And does it have to exist? Welcome, welcome. My name is Melissa, and I am joined by my steadfast co-host, Pete. Hello, hello, everyone. All right, let me get right to this. What is your take on zero-sum thinking, Pete? In order to win, does someone have to lose? Well, there are certainly are instances where there's a declared winner and loser, but, but outside of sports where wins and losses are recorded, I'm going to say there aren't a whole lot of situations that have to be anything less than mutually beneficial when it comes right down to it. But I think how you teed this up goes beyond this. In your opening, there's an element of everyone is out to make someone else a loser. Oh my, you caught me off guard with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, if we're talking about, like that's totally unintentional, but I guess if we're talking about Gordon Gecko, I see how you can get a sense of it. Like it's, it's not just about me wanting to win at the end of the day, it's also about me wanting you to lose. Uh, I mean, logically, the math just works out on that, right? If, you're, if your mind's preset is a zero-sum situation, I mean, aren't you technically out to have someone else lose? Because that ensures you're winning, right? Don't you think? I, I do, but it makes me feel sick. But <laughs> I'm yeah. like suddenly jaded. I'm like, damn, he he's makes a point. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So I agree that sports are an arena where there are definitive winners and losers, but, but like you, I believe that the majority of instances and situations in life are those where win-win is possible with the caveat. Here's, here's my asterisk. Okay. You might have to think flexibly about what it means to win. Oh yeah. I see. Okay. I, I, I can agree with that. You know, when I said earlier that, that situations could be mutually beneficial, I was trying to insinuate that it might not be in terms of how we have traditionally conceptualized a win. Mm -hmm. You know, that being said, I, I can't wait to see where uh, this thinking flexibly takes us uh, because I'm, I'm ready. I, I did a lot of 
stretching of my frontal lobe before we got started. Awesome. So, so I'm feeling very limber upstairs and uh, yeah. But before we begin, I have to tell you that when we first put this on the agenda to be discussed, I was instantly brought back to my college days where my only real exposure to this phrase was through song lyrics. Is that that chart topping hit by Lonely Island, Crabs in a Box? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I, I don't think it was Crabs in that box. But Step one, cut a hole in the box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they won't crawl out. That's yeah. the whole purpose. That's what we're about here That's to right. discuss. That's right. You don't, even, yeah. you don't even need to. The step two is put a lid on the box, was it? Because you don't. Yeah, uh, don't. That is not step two. <laughs> But, but go ahead, continue. Yeah, back to what I was saying. Um, I know about crabs in a pot 100% because of KRS-One. And I'm sure that he didn't come up with it. Yeah, I do not think that he came up with it. Yes, um, unless the Google needs the updating. Um, as When I did my research for this episode, mm -hmm. uh, I found, hopefully it's correct, that the term, the term crab mentality is attributed to writer... Nanochka Roska, and I'm hoping mm. I do her name justice because she's nice. amazing. Um, mm. And she first coined the term to describe, if I can't have it, neither can you. Sure, hence how, how zero-sum thinking comes into play. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how much experience you have as a longshore fisherman, you know, <laughs> all those days in the Jersey Shore from your youth. Um, but if you've ever witnessed a bucket of crabs or, or, a, or a box of crabs, uh, chances are it did not have the lid on it. You're, you're absolutely right. It, as I do recall from my days working on the docks as a lad, crabs are able to easily escape from the bucket or box, technically speaking. <laughs> but they don't because when one goes to escape, the others grab it and pull it down, thereby sealing their collective fate. Come on, man. Yeah. So the analogy here, in case you're trying to draw it, is that humans are really no different. If we see a person trying to succeed, i.e. escape the bucket, whatever that be, we will try to drag them down in some manner, either by negating their achievement or diminishing the importance of their accomplishment or even going so far as to thwart their efforts. But unlike crabs who are just doing it because they're, they're well, they're, they're crabs. Humans are doing it. Thank you for the, the lead up because our brains have developed in such a way that we get biological rewards for this behavior. Yeah, absolutely. We, we believe that zero-sum thinking originated as a defensive response to resource-scarce environments. Mm -hmm. It was a, uh, a cognitive adaptation meant to ready individuals for potential conflict over limited resources. And the way that it works is our brains release serotonin, which gives us this yummy, warm feeling on the inside. It's all gooey, right? Mm, we feel, mm. it's, it's, we feel happy. And, and here's where it gets dark. <laughs> we get this release of serotonin when we perceive ourselves to be in a position of power. Right, exactly. But, but if we feel like our position is threatened, the brain gives us a shot of cortisol to warn us mm -hmm. because in, in situations where resources are scarce, competition for those resources would be fierce and any gains accumulated by some meant that others lost out. Right. That cortisol triggers several biological functions that make our bodies like primed for that intense competition for those resources. You, I mean, you know, this is like seventh grade biology stuff. You mm -hmm. amps up all the body systems that are needed to respond to stressful situations. So your, your muscles are getting that shot of energy, your heart rate increases, 
And then other systems that aren't going to be engaged in the fight, like digestion, let's just say, mm -hmm. shut down. Yeah. Right, exactly. And in those times, as we were developing and evolving, we as a species definitely would have faced win or lose situations. Mm -hmm. Think of uh, competing for territory or, or for a sexual mate. Right, which blows my mind that this is still a residual, right? Like it had its time and its place, but still like this is, this is many years later and we're resorting to our primitive ways during times of trial and tribulation. Our brains start acting like Ricky Bobby and telling us that if you're not first, you're last, which is usually not an accurate depiction of what's truly happening. Yeah, and, and, and folks, if you know Melissa, you know that her mantra is there is plenty of room at the top of the pedestal. But, but I don't think many people share your mindset. I, I think it's important that we remember that people's perception of the situation at hand is really what's at work here. When people perceive there to be a limited resource is really the key. I started laughing because I was like, what is he going to say is my mantra? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> not that one. Good. Yes. Plenty of room on top of the pedestal. I agree with you. Right. And yes, I further agree. I, right. I, I agree that that's my mantra. And I agree that not a lot of people probably think like that, but, but it's like you said earlier, when individuals think that a mm -hmm. situation is zero sum, they have this certain preset in their minds. And this is what happens. They're, they're going to be less likely to act uh, cooperatively. Right. Mm -hmm. They're not right. going to cooperate with each other, right. which means like in turn, they're going to act more competitively towards each other because right. they're going to see them as a threat. Yeah. Right. Even if they technically aren't a threat. Mm -hmm. Right. We know that from research that when students think they're being graded on a curve, which is which is a grading scheme that makes the allocation of grades actually zero sum, mm -hmm. they're less likely to provide assistance to a peer because that might be at their expense. Right. Research also shows us that when people perceive that there is a zero sum competition in society for resources like jobs, that is, there's only one job. And if you get it, I don't. They are less likely to hold pro immigration attitudes. And that's, you know, making the leap that that immigrants are going to deplete that resource. Oh, I see. Sure. Um, so I, I, I know that we keep talking about how people perceive things, but I was wondering if we couldn't take this discussion, mm -hmm. you know, bank it a 90 degree turn here and, <laughs> and uh, say that framing things as a either win or lose is either is not either. It's really a false dichotomy in a majority of these situations. Sure. And I think that there is another way of thinking about this, because even if we technically air quotes here, win at something, I'm going to say chances are our win is short lived and we'd actually be much better off in the long run if we thought more collectively about what it is that we were trying to win at. And you know what? Do you know what that analogy makes me think of, even though, even though it's on a totally different scale? Um, how Batman chose to beat up street thugs instead of using his billions of dollars to eliminate the systemic oppression running rampant in Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been my. practicing that all day, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that daily, actually, but that's not what I was thinking of in this instance. If only it would fit on a coffee cup, right? That's right. Oh, that would be, yeah, that'd be perfect. That would be, yeah. That's one of those mega cups. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. But no, what I was thinking of was the conversation that we had in episode 106 about uh, the tragedy of the commons and our discussion on shopping carts. Oh, okay. I, I think I see what you're saying. So in both instances, 
it's the unwillingness to be cooperative in nature that limits our success and the success of others. So the lesson here, kitties, is that <laughs> when we put self above society, it in the long run stunts everyone's growth. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to stitch these two phenomena together, right? To to compare them in, in a similar way. Um, what do you have an example uh, of where emphasizing individual success limits those around you? I, I do. I have one in my head, but okay. I feel like I'm almost discounting something we said earlier, but hear me out. Okay. So I know that we already said that sports are a place where you have a legit zero sum situation. There's a win mm -hmm. or a loss, mm -hmm. but I almost want to challenge that because okay. if we take a look at youth sports, right? So in youth sports and probably sports in general, but let's focus on youth sports. Um, teams will rely heavily on a star player to win the games. And that player is, of course, very motivated, get the accolades and attention that goes along with being the star. And of course, sure. they're just, you know, in many cases, just living up to what it is that they can do. I mean, right. that's it. They're just playing to their potential. Um, but being the person doing a majority of the work towards the team's success really can hamper the development of the other players on the team. And boom, what happens if that star gets hurt? then the team is no longer in a position to be competitive, you know, without them. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a really great example. I think that the team and coaches allow the star to achieve individual success, but ultimately it's detrimental to the overall team development. Yeah. Well, you, you would know this firsthand. I mean, mm -hmm. you, know, you coach, so mm -hmm. you have to think to yourself, is it, is it really a win? Because not only are the skills of the other players underdeveloped, but you know, you have those, underutilized players who now have lower motivation to perform and have a noticeable decrease in their faith in and probably even respect for their coaches. Right. Right. So, so overall by elevating the one, the group suffers and, and you kind of um, insinuated that uh, this takes place at different levels. And, and you, you certainly do see that where exceptional athletes are, are, are leaned on by coaching staffs at various levels to uh to well to perform to their potential as you said um and what you see too often is when the other team finds a way to neutralize that talent of that player mm -hmm. the rest of the team isn't in a position to be able to succeed without them they're not mm -hmm. they haven't been developed to that level so so focusing and relying on that one person's uh ability to carry the team ultimately makes the team less competitive. I see, I see you watched the NHL playoffs this past season. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. Wow. Oh, imagine yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but if we could just venture back into this idea of, of perception for a moment, I think that we'll be able to get to the point where we can potentially reframe these primitive presets that reside within us. You mean the part where we're actually helpful, like why people might tune in, tune in to hear us? It, I mean, I that's what I like doing, yes. Yeah, all right. I'm all for this. Yes, I would like okay. to be useful. Let's do this. Okay, okay. So uh, first thing, I, I, in 2016, research was published that demonstrated that when we get cues that signal that the economy is performing poorly, we switch into competition mode and assume the success of one person implies less success for others. This in turn makes employees less inclined to help each other. 
that research drew upon four separate studies, all consistently showed that depressed economic triggers caused people to revert to a zero-sum thought process, which resulted in less helping behavior overall, even in situations where helping came at no cost to them in the slightest. Like, like helping Nancy reload the paper in the Xerox machine? Yeah, potentially as little as, as petty as that, yes. So, I mean, this sounds so sad. What we're saying is that even at the slightest whiff of things being less than hunky-dory, we turn into jerks. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, we got we to we get to the part where we help people. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't be jerks. There, that helps. <laughs> we'll have it in our swag store. <laughs> you can get it on a 4T toddler shirt or... That's right. Or a tie pin. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. There you go. So, but this would explain why you have employees that are less willing to assist their colleagues during a recession or citizens hoarding, I don't know, toilet paper and hand sanitizer during a pandemic. Not that that's ever happened. <laughs> not at all. Not, not like I am sitting, you know, four feet above my mic because I'm sitting on all that toilet paper that <laughs> I had, didn't know what else to do with that I got a year and a right, half ago. Right. right. But it's, it's important to understand that such thinking may actually be counterproductive to our own well-being, because it's in times of crisis that we often need to help others and need help from others the most. Mm -hmm. When we help others rather than than viewing them as rivals, needing to be uh, vanquished, we are likely to generate feelings of of reciprocity, the results of which can far outweigh the short-term gains that often accompany zero-sum competitions. Note to self, never be a rival. People, people yeah. vanquish me. Yeah, I don't know where that, yeah, I'm not sure where that came that from. That is a loaded yeah. verb, man. All right, yes, all right, all right. So don't be jerks. I'll <laughs> vanquish you. Don't be, <laughs> be vanquished. <laughs> um, so uh, talking about all this vanquishing and how this can end up biting us um, makes me think of, uh, you know how I'm always like, oh, I read a book, right? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, yeah, that's me. Uh, I should have been a librarian. Uh, Terry Pratchett wrote a novel called Unseen Academicals. Say Ooh, that yeah. 10 times fast. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to admit it's a bit tangential to our discussion. Welcome to talking to Melissa. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but still noteworthy uh, before we, of course, pivot to another facet of this. So in Pratchett's novel, Listen to this. He's talking mm-hmm. about dark. Okay. The protagonist comes to realize that his social status results not from external repression, okay, but from his own low expectations of himself. There, oh, here's, wow. here's the line. The worst of it is the crab that mostly keeps you down is you. Oh, wow. That's that is that is some deep, dark, reflective thinking. I would love to do a mic drop, but these things cost money. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really, it doesn't sound good. Like it just no, doesn't, it, just it sort looks of so much better than it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so before we lose sight of this idea of reframing what constitutes a win, why don't we talk about what it is that we are really gaining? Okay. So you're talking about where we, where we set the goal line. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let's frame it like that. Like where we set the goal line. Sure. Okay. So. So essentially, we're talking about short-term versus long-term gains. Uh, and, and part of the reason why times of crisis cause us to think in zero-sum terms is that such situations activate our survival instincts because we are focusing our, shite, our, our sights on short-term gains. 
That, that's right. And to go hand in glove with reframing, we can also work to stop thinking about a zero sum situation. And we could think of a positive sum interaction because that, that is a thing that, that does exist. Right. But, but that takes conscious effort on our part, right? Because we've got that biological development that we just talked about. We're predisposed to see resources as more scarce than they are. Because when there's only so much food to go around, it works best if we act sooner rather than later, right? Yeah, absolutely. From an evolutionary perspective, that compulsion would be the difference between survival and extinction. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd love to say that we've outlived the usefulness of those urges, but it was only a hundred years ago that the Great Depression caused a situation where resource scarcity was very real. A hundred years ago, Pete, it was only a year ago that we were we were fighting over over a bag of carrots at the Piggly Wiggly. What a freaking Great Depression! Oh my god! I was like, what? Oh, phew, fan self. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, since we're going with the Great Depression here, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could say we really are not that far removed from it. We just haven't lost those urges clearly. And, you know, we have them for good reason. But my point is, if we act on them, they can have some very negative impacts for us and our relationships with those around us. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> yes, they absolutely do. Uh, what did what did buying four, 500 rolls of toilet paper do for you, except make others dislike you and distrust you, honestly? Yeah, I'll tell you what it does to you, besides a nice soft chush. It activates other crabs' brains right. and makes them more likely to see us as competition for those scarce resources, which, uh, hello, newsflash, are only scarce because we are acting selfishly. Right, when it would be much more beneficial to everyone to share the resources, even if they are somewhat scarce, because doing so would engender others to share their resources with us. This is supposed to be what a functional society is built on. All right. So let's talk about how we can override that primitive part of our brains that wants to say, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> is that, are you, is that from Finding Nemo? Yeah, it is. Is you quoting the seagulls? I did. <laughs> that is an awesome reference. I can't believe you got it. Yeah. That, no, you sounded just like them. <laughs> but as I recall, those seagulls were looking to eat some crab. And here we are trying to convince people not to act like crabs. I can, I can assure you that was just a fluke coincidence. My, my efforts today have been on that Batman line. So I have not been practicing the mind mind. Uh, and I will tell you, I've learned my lesson after we had that episode where we talked about eating the frog. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. The, the episode where, right. Where we actually talked about eating an elephant. Yeah. But, but, but I digress. All right. Well, allow me to get us back on track with some suggestions to help us counter that primitive response of wanting to hinder other people's success. That sounds incredibly helpful. Let's let's hear what you've got. For starters, let's take a moment and we need to peel back the onion mm-hmm. on when we're when we're feeling that, why are we feeling like that? Is because you feel like you're in a situation where someone else win is your loss? Right. And if that, if that is what you're feeling, ask yourself if that's valid. Right. Ask yourself, am I competing for land rights or a suitable mate to help me populate my fiefdom? <laughs> oh my. Well, that's where you get vanquished is in a fiefdom. <laughs> if, you, 
if you aren't doing one of those things, consider thinking through what it is that you directly stand to lose by someone else's success. And consider what it is that you could possibly win by someone else winning. Uh, I totally know where you're going with this. And I wholeheartedly endorse this because there are definite advantages to being around other people who are experiencing success. And that's a, that is a great plug for one of the things we have in store for everyone in 2022. But you're absolutely right. Birds of a feather do flock together. And when someone in your inner circle does experience a win, there are positive repercussions for you as well. Also, I would challenge everyone to think about the actual event taking place. Think about those secondary and tertiary effects that can come from your purported loss. And I'm doing the air quotes there. Mm -hmm. I think I can hear right when you say purported, it's just that's what comes next. It's understood. Yeah. Yes. There you go. You have to say, am I losing something at this moment in time, but potentially teeing myself up for, for something better in the end? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely a possibility. You, you might not get that specific job that you're interviewing for, but that doesn't mean that you won't be tapped for another position, which could end up being even a better fit for you. And I've had that very thing happen to me. And the job that I got was a much better fit professionally and personally. There you go, folks. You got it. <laughs> with, with an N of one, we've solved it. That's, that's it, what it is. It must be true, right? Yeah, that's anecdotal evidence for the win. If at first you don't succeed, it's okay. You get a better <laughs> job. Isn't that the motto? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually have another suggestion here. And, and this one might take you back to your childhood. Is this the don't lick the metal ice cube trays piece <laughs> of advice? Because you shouldn't, by the way. You should not. Though. You should just, not. Yeah. No, that's close. It's actually very close. Uh, but what I'm referring to is being told, don't worry about what others are doing. Worry about what you're doing. <laughs> I just heard that in a very loud and clear voice in my head, a maternal voice, but it went something like this. Worry about your own damn self. Sorry, that's what was in my head. So, <laughs> well, I would have to say that that's sage advice then and now. Well, let me modernize it a bit and maybe soften its edges so I don't get triggered here. All right, I don't want to <laughs> lose the lesson. I just don't want to have to have to sign off before we're done. Um, <laughs> If you are focused on your gains, your efforts, your goals, then, you know, you aren't really looking around at what others are up to. Right. The best way to measure your individual success is by staying focused on achieving your aims at the pace that is right for your situation, not by looking at someone else. Is, is this where you're going to tell me that my, my only competition is who I was yesterday? <laughs> I've actually, uh, I just got you that coffee cup. Um, and it's, <laughs> It's, it should be there Tuesday, uh, but, but it's true, right? If you have your own thing going on, doesn't that free you to be genuinely happy and or impressed and or proud of someone when they achieve their ambitions? It, absolutely. Because as we keep saying, for the most part, we don't actually live in a zero-sum world. Whatever others have going on isn't really going to affect you and can actually enhance your efforts. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my plug for 2022 programming. <laughs> Yes. I personally get somewhat of a rush when other people around me excel because it shows me that success is possible. This is a whole lots of room on the top of the pedestal. Mm -hmm. And if I have a goal that is similar to um, something that someone has just experienced success in, I look at them like, oh, you hold the playbook. 
uh, it just makes it seem even that much more doable. Right. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, seeing other people get a, a PhD 20 years after graduating college. I don't know. That's uh, that's crazy talk. Nobody does that. <laughs> but education is a perfect segue into the next piece of advice, which is to invest in yourself, mm-hmm. right? Seek out new skills and abilities from from pursuing advanced degrees to photography classes, right? There's no shortage of things one can do to add to their repertoire. I feel like you're about to launch into a tourism video for <laughs> future land or future world. <laughs> it's part of your voiceover work. This was, yeah, this is a, this is my, my stint as a cruise director. <laughs> Very nice. Um, well, you know, I'm down with this. I, I, lo- I love this bit of advice because I'm, I'm always trying things that I haven't done yet. Because YOLO, <laughs> which is another episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're definitely on to something here because each added skill adds another bucket where you can generate and accrue depth. So if you're, kill- if you're not killing it on one front, mm-hmm. you have other places where you could be totally slaying it. Yeah. And if perpetually striving for personal growth gives you more to like guard against falling back into the com- comparison mindset. But, you know, to your point earlier, it also has that added benefit of keeping you focused on yourself. And another way to stay out of that win-lose territory is to actively curate like-minded people who are on the same trajectory as you are. Right. Because then you aren't crabs who are working against each other. You are crabs who are like, you know, if we work together, we can get the heck out of this bucket. That's Which is, yeah. That's, that's my crab voice. That's... Uh, I, that's not what I pictured for a crab voice, but yeah, no, that, I get it. That's something we should all strive for rather than succumbing to our worst impulse in times of trouble. I could not agree more. I think if we all relied on the better angels of our nature, as uh, Steven Pinker, who is a Harvard psychologist and bestselling author says, um, I mean, and really all that really takes is for us to stop looking at each other's competitors and start seeing each other's teammates and not to vanquish your friends. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I do have vanquish on my to-do list for this weekend. So if, if you're saying I need to, to take that off, I'll take it under advisement. Yeah. Take it off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What, what do you think? Are, are you still feeling like you've got some, some crustacean tendencies to discuss? I don't think I could try that voice again. So no, I, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> Cause it sounds like that, that thing for the pickle, the pickle guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's I have pickle, yeah. I have a hood. Right. Yeah. Which right. yeah. I'm getting confused with my uh, mascots here. So mm. at this point of the podcast, I feel like even the most crusty crab would be looking to give their buddy a boost. So they had a chance at escaping from whatever container they found themselves in, be it a, be it a pot or a box or a whatever it be. Right. Well, let's hope that that's the case for the people listening. You know, if the crabs stay stuck, that's okay, because I do enjoy a good crab cake. Well, it always seems to come back to food with us, doesn't it? <laughs> it I think does. actually next season we should ditch our schedule programming and just do a food, foodie, foodie podcast. I, I, I think I could be convinced to diversify. <laughs> I, I really do. Uh, on that note, Melissa and I would love to continue this discussion with you all on social media. Tell us when you felt like others were trying to hold you back or when you last felt like you were in a zero-sum situation. We also want to hear what you personally do to stay out of that comparison mentality. Maybe your technique will help someone else navigate those feelings better than they currently do. Maybe those people won't have to 
cue all the way through our podcast to get to the part that helps them then if you share it on social media. So, so reach out to us. Yeah, you can find us on, on Twitter and Instagram at ThinkSigPod and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Think Significantly. And if you enjoyed our conversation, please invite your curious friends to listen. Pete and I will be back next week to tackle another thought-provoking topic. Until then, we encourage everyone to think significantly about the world around them. Na, 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 na.